Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. If the foundation is faulty because we don't fully embrace God's grace, then there's not going to be any fruit. No fruit can come where no root has been established. Let me say it this way. A good root equals good fruit. If it's not right at the root, forget about the fruit. This is In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ephesians. Are you in a situation right now that has you overwhelmed? Today, Pastor J.D. encourages us to insert the words, but God, into the situation we're facing. These words bring hope, power, and life. When we find ourselves in the worst state possible, sin and death, God brought His grace and life to us through Jesus. He's more than able. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ephesians chapter 2 with part 1 of his message, But God. We're going through the epistle to the Ephesians, and today we begin a new chapter in chapter 2. Our text will be verses 1 through 9. We'll begin in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Ephesus and says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, verse 3, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest We were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But God, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order, verse 7, that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the title for today's teaching, (laughs) my two favorite words in all of the Bible, and for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that these two words change everything. 
but God. But God. Please know that I in no way wish to, with what I'm going to say, be, for lack of a better word, canned, or even cliche when I say this, but it doesn't matter what's going on in your life as difficult and as painful as it might be because of these two words. You know, recently I've been on the receiving end of many a brother and sister in Christ, some of whom are here in our fellowship that have been on the receiving end of a devastating diagnosis of cancer in many cases. Just had a phone conversation with a dear friend of mine on the mainland yesterday, and his wife uh, has uh, a cyst, and they won't know until Wednesday uh, whether or not it's benign or malignant, cancerous. I'll tell you, there are times in our lives as Christians where the reality of life hits, and certainly we're experiencing this by proxy, if I can say it that way, on Thursday nights in our study through the book of Job. If there was ever a man that was on the receiving end of unthinkable suffering and pain and difficulty, it was Job, but God. And again, I I don't want to be dismissive or uh, make light of the enormity or the intensity of the trial that you're in, but I promise you on the authority of God's Word that these two words are going to change everything for you. But God. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. It's, uh, it's really bad. I know. But God. But God. And this is what we have before us today. And truly replete throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, we see but God throughout. One of my favorites, and we talk about it often, maybe I could be rightly accused of talking about it too often, but it's uh, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, with Joseph, when he reveals his identity to his brothers who had left him for dead, sold him, into slavery, betrayed him. He had been through so much for what is likely about 17 years of his life, where it would seem that everything in his life contradicted the promise and the goodness of God. And here finally now his brothers are there, and he reveals his identity to them, and he says to them, you meant this for evil, but... God. But God, I want want you, if you don't mind, to, throughout our study here in Ephesians chapter 2, view everything through the lens of but God. And what I mean by that is you take the template of whatever it is that you're going through in your life and you superimpose those two words on it and at the end of it, and I promise you that you will see the goodness of the Lord, but God, but God. And this is what we have here 
in our text today. In verses 1 through 3, Paul begins by reminding them of what they were and how they lived before their lives in Christ. He says that specifically they were dead in their trespasses and sins and they were following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Then he goes on to say about how we used to live gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires, which by nature are deserving of his wrath. This is what I call the big three, the world, the devil, and the flesh, but God. I hope you don't tire of me saying those two words, but God. In verses 1 through 3, he paints a very dismal picture of what we were prior to our lives in Christ. And then in verse 4, he says, but God, but God, because of his great love for us and being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. In verses 4 through 7, he continues by saying that God raises us up with Christ, seating us with him in heaven to show his incomparable riches and grace. It's what he says next in verses 8 and 9, which are well-known verses, and for good reason, that I would like for us to look at and talk about. He says it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And it's not from ourselves. There's nothing that we bring to the table of salvation. There's no work, no thing that we can bring. It is the gift of God. And as such, there's no way that anyone could ever boast about having anything to do with that which only God can do and God has done. And here's where I'm going with this, and here's why I lay this foundation, and I want you to think this through. If our salvation is by grace, then here's the question. Wouldn't it stand to reason that so too is our sanctification also by grace? So if we're saved by grace, wouldn't it also mean that our sanctification in concert with our salvation would also have to be by grace? Absolutely. If you'll kindly allow me to, I want to explain this and talk about this for the remainder of our time together in Ephesians. And in order to do that, I need to preface this with the presupposition that we fully understand what salvation by grace means. Now, we're prone to define grace as unmerited favor, and certainly it is that. And thank God it is that. There's no thing that we can do to merit it. It is the grace of God that we are saved by. And grace by its very definition, completely eliminates any possibility 
of any merit on anyone's part. Now, you might be saying, okay, Pastor, why are you making such a big deal about this? Because if you and I miss this at this point, forget it. What do you mean? Well, if the foundation is faulty because we don't fully embrace God's grace, then there's not going to be any fruit. No fruit can come where no root has been established. Let me say it this way. A good root equals good fruit. If it's not right at the root, forget about the fruit. A bad root equals bad fruit, or worse yet, no fruit. And certainly this is true when it comes to a fruitful Christian life that has its base in God's grace. Let me say it this way. If we don't understand the grace of God, we will misunderstand the trials that are allowed into our lives. We'll misinterpret those trials and why God has allowed them in our lives if we have not fully embraced the grace and the goodness of God. Stay with me, please. You've heard it said, and I I know it's, again, maybe canned and hollow and cliche, but we tend to say it's all of grace. It's all of grace, the grace of God. We toss it out like candy, the grace of God, by God's grace. <laughs> Listen, do you know what the grace of God is for you? Think about this. There cannot be anything in your life or my life that God's grace is not sufficient to get you through. And again, I don't care what it is. I know that might sound kind of cold and even callous, but no. I don't care what it is that you're going through as difficult and as painful as it might be. The grace of God is sufficient for you. The grace of God is all that you need. One of the things I'm learning in my own life is that no matter how bad it is, it cannot change how good God is. One of the things that the Lord really ministered to me when our daughter Noel died, as bad and as unspeakably painful as that was, is that God was going to have the final word, and he did. That's probably amongst the most powerful but God stories in my life, because as painful as that was, God's grace was sufficient. Listen, I've I've been saved by grace, and so have you. So what's God going to do? Is he just going to say, okay, I saved you by grace, now you're on your own. You better figure it out. Work it out. 
I did my part. I saved you by grace through faith. Now, you better get with the program. Shoot me now. I need God's grace after salvation as much, if not more, than I did need God's grace for salvation. But God. (laughs) Your daughter's going to die, sir. But God. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know the way. I just know that God is good. 45 days after Noel went to be with Jesus, my wife comes to me and says, I want to have another child. And I, like Sarah this time, laughed because, you know, that ship has kind of sailed a little bit and uh, not that easy. And uh, But God allowed us and enabled us to conceive first time. But God, our baby girl Noel died, but God gave us our daughter Sabia. But God. But God. That's how powerful those two words are. Again, I I know I run the risk of maybe not saying this the right way. I, I'm learning that it's not so much what I say, but it's how I say what I say. But I don't know what you brought to church with you today, as difficult as it is. And again, I don't really care what it is, because I know that God is good. Yeah, but pastor, it's really bad. I know, but God is good. Yeah, but it doesn't look good. The marriage, my marriage, it's, it's really bad. My kids, they want nothing to do with me. They want nothing to do with the Lord. It's really bad. But God. And by the way, for any parent who may be here today with a wayward child, I want to encourage you with something the Lord ministered to me concerning my own children. He loves them more than you ever could. And He wants them right with Him more than you could ever want them right with Him. You hang on to that. Yeah, but they're in a bad way. They're hanging out with bad people. They're doing bad things. But God, but God, you don't give up. You keep praying for them. God hears, God sees, and God knows. God loves them more than you'll ever know. He can be where they are. You can't. And you can send the angels given charge concerning them to wherever they're at. That's the power of God's grace. That's the power of God's love. Yeah, but pastor, I, <laughs> you don't understand. I mean, I just don't know how God's going to bring good from this. <laughs> you have no idea how perilous and perplexing and uh, distressing this situation is. Have you ever wondered how it is that God will allow something so 
utterly impossible into your life so that you have no other alternative but to throw up your hands and say, God, this is impossible. I almost imagine God responding with, yeah, think? (laughs) Now that's not mean. I don't want you to think that God's being mean, but have you ever wondered that maybe that's why God allowed that to come into your life? Yeah, but why doesn't He take it away and make it stop? It's too painful, and I don't know how much more I can handle, and I don't know if I can go on. God's grace is sufficient. Come on. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in his second epistle to the Corinthian church in chapter 12. I want to read verses 8 through 10. He says, concerning this thing, what's this thing in your life? For Paul, it was this thorn in the flesh, which has led many to speculate what that was, whether it was a physical infirmity. Some believe it was a problem with his eyes due to malaria. Others suggest other things we don't know, but that's not the point. He had this thing in his life he describes as a thorn. And by the way, don't imagine it being a little thorn on a rose bush. This is like a, um, in the original language, it carries with it the idea of a tent spike. And by the way, if there was anybody that knew what a tent spike was, it was Paul. He did tents for a living. He's describing this tent stake that's in his flesh that was tormenting him. And he's begging God. He's pleading with God. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And you know what God's response was? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Really? <laughs> really? Come on, let's be honest. Real talk? Can we, can we talk for real here? We want God to get us out of the trial. But what if God wants to give you the grace to make it through the trial? I mean, certainly he could effortlessly take you out of that situation you're in, in an instant. But he doesn't. Why? Is he being cruel? Absolutely not. He wants you to taste from the cup of his grace in ways that you could never have had he not allowed this thorn in your flesh. Community is so important to a growing relationship with Jesus. We weren't meant to walk this Christian life alone. God has blessed us with spiritual brothers and sisters, all imperfect people serving a perfect creator. We will find ourselves in times of trial as we deepen our faith and follow Jesus. So we need to have a community of believers to lean on. Your church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. In turn, you provide the same for them. Have you found a group of Jesus followers that you can invest in? If you're in the Kaneohe area and don't have a church, we would be more than happy to welcome you into our family. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D., 
You can find out more at our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Before our time is through with you today, we want to tell you how you can listen to more editions of In Spirit and Truth. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Join us next time as we continue in the book of Ephesians on In Spirit and Truth. Holy me true